0: Hello everyone, I'm Jonathan Little for PokerCoaching.com, and today I'm here with episode 277 of Weekly Poker Hand, featuring our newest coach at PokerCoaching.com, Lexi Gavin. So, let's go ahead and take a look at it. Here we have Jamie Kerstetter raising it up under the gun, playing 10, 25, 50, maybe it's 25, 25, 50, doesn't really matter, it's roughly the same thing. And curse raises with ace-queen to 150 bucks, which is perfectly fine and standard. And then folds around to Lexi, here she is, with king-jack-of-diamonds. And she likes to call, which I think is great. She doesn't really have any other option. And then Oliberg decides to call with 10-3 of diamonds on the button. I get that being on the button lets you play more hands, but 10-3 suited is terrible. Also, notice Oliberg is playing only 70 big blinds deep. So that's a reason to fold a little bit more often with your kind of junky hands. Just because if you get top pair bad kicker, you're not really loving it, right? And that's usually what 10-3, off, uh, 10-3 even suited is going to make. Notice here, she makes it flush, she's in pretty bad shape too. All right, Antimony folds 8-7 offsuit correctly from the first blind. I think that's perfectly fine. Even with a connected hand, you do want to be folding. We see Daniel Anderson easily folding the 10-4 clubs, which I think is great. And Lem calls with the Ace-Nine of Clubs, which is great. All right, so we are going to see a flop. Oh, look, here is Jamie Kersetter. She is representing the Mac Verstandig Law Firm. Mac is my lawyer, and he's actually the uh, the counsel on the case against Mike Postle, who it's been alleged can see people's cards while he's playing at Stone's Gambling Hall on the live stream. If you want facts about that case go check out the interview that I did with Mac. It's about an hour long where we go through the entire case that the players have um, taken to court in order to try to rectify the situation where they probably got cheated. So uh, go check out that interview. You can just Google Jonathan Little, Mac Verstandig. It will come right up, and that way you actually know what's going on instead of just hearing speculation. All right, let's see a flop. It comes 762, 2 diamonds. This is a situation where many players in center uh, shoes would just blindly continuation bet with their whole range, but that is not a good idea at all. It's very likely one of the callers has something on this board. And the problem is if you bet and everyone folds, you win a small pot, but if you bet and get called, then you're just really not loving it, and you're going to get called a decent amount of the time. So I like to check with the ace-queen just looking to check fold. And now Lexi Gavin has an interesting decision because... She definitely has a hand that lacks showdown value, but has plenty of equity. So this is a pretty reasonable hand to bet. Um, the real question is, should she like check, call, or check raise instead? And I don't think she should, given she is almost last to act. It's going to go check, 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 check a lot, and then they just go to the turn. I think she'd much rather bet and start to make hands like ace high fold. And if she does get a king or a jack after she bets and gets called... It's usually going to be very good, because, like, let's say it checks through, and then a king comes on the turn, and Kersetter decides to start betting. Gavin doesn't really love her hand, because Kersetter could clearly have a whole lot of ace-king and king-queen type hands, right? But if she bets, and then Kersetter calls, now Kersetter's going to have a whole lot of over-pair type hands, to a point where, like, a king or a jack is usually pretty good. Because you have to think is going to fold out ace-high on the flop a lot of the time which is going to be ace-king and ace-queen type hands, and king-queen would certainly fold. So betting here cleans up your equity against um, the initial raiser, and also it picks up the pot sometimes, which is fine, and sometimes you get called by worse draws. And if you are against a 7 or a 6, you're going to have a lot of barreling opportunities with this king-jack high, so I definitely like betting. Pot $650, I think a bet of 400 is probably fine, and, um, well, that's exactly what she bet. Now, Olaberg with the... 10 high flush draw. Can either call or raise. I think either play is fine. This really does show you the danger of playing these type of hands, because if a diamond comes off now, Oliver's going to be on the hook for a lot of chips. Well, all of her chips. She's not going to be able to fold, and Gavin's clearly just going to bet turn and bet river whenever she gets there. So this is definitely a rough spot, but you don't have any other option besides to call or raise. If she did raise, Gavin's just probably not going to fold this hand, so... It's a tough spot to be in with a 10-eye flush draw. All right, turn is an eight. And this is an interesting spot for Gavin because of the draws she could have, the only one that really got there and is happy is 10-9. If she had a hand like 9-8 or 10-8, not sure if she should bet, although it's probably okay. The problem is with betting a hand like 9-8 or 10-8, if you get raised, you can't really fold. Notice here that Oliberg only has 3,100 behind. So here, Gavin has to figure out how much she can bet to bet turn and then jam river. And I think the right play here is to use a relatively small turn bet, like um, $800, with the idea that you are going to jam the river. Maybe even like 700 would be a little bit better. So this is definitely a spot where I like that play. The problem with betting 700 is if you get jammed on, now you have to fold. But as long as you think that Oliverberg doesn't have too many um, nut hands here, she's not going to be doing a whole lot of raising. Also notice Gavin could easily just have a set, right? And maybe she thinks Oliberg always raises the flop with a set or two pair, in which case that means Oliberg probably is not going to raise the turn much at all. So it's always dicey to bet this to bet this king-jack suited and get raised because you have to fold, but I think it's probably okay. The alternative is to check and then check shove. But if Oliberg has a lot of eights or sevens or sixes, like in a one-pair type hand, she's not going to be betting... The turn all that often. She's just going to check behind, which means you don't really get to check raise the spot all that often. Gavin does go for a bet of 800 bucks, which I think is fine. If you've watched the previous few episodes of Weekly Poker Hand or listened to them, you know that I have um, nitpicked Gavin's bet size a little bit, like bet $100 less. <laughs> Looks like she bet $850 here, maybe $800, who knows. Um, but so far she's playing these hands just great. So she does bet 850, gets called. And now, go ahead and think about, before the river even comes out, board 7628, two diamonds, what is Gavin gonna do on, well, insert any river? And in these scenarios, you wanna be asking yourself, what are you going to do on all of the various rivers? If the river is an ace, is she gonna bluff? Hmm, maybe, maybe not. What if it's a king, will she value bet? Maybe, maybe not. What about a jack, same story, right? Queen, I think, is a pretty easy bluff. Uh, 10, I think, is a pretty easy bluff. 9, I think, is a pretty easy bluff. Notice if a 9 comes, uh, Oleberg's going to have a straight, so clearly she's not folding. If a 10 comes, Oleberg may actually fold the top pair because a 9 gets there, and obviously Gavin has a whole lot of 9s in her range. If it's an 8, I think you still probably want to bet. If it's a 7, that gets a little bit dicey because a 7 should hit Oliver's flop calling range and turn calling range, so maybe a 7 you don't necessarily want to bet. 6? Mmm... Eh, It's another kind of dicey card. Five or four, I think you just have to bluff because, again, Oliver's going to have a lot of one-pair hands that will fold. Three and two, it's probably fine to bluff those as well. So really, the only dicey cards are an ace, but I think you still just bet an ace. And then a seven or a six. Every other card, I think Gavin is ready to go all in. And by the way, if you are betting the flop and the turn with this king-high flush draw and not following through on it on well, almost every card, you are leaving a substantial amount of money on the table. It's important to realize here that Gavin has lots of sets, two pairs, and straights in her range that she wants to be bluffing. So that means she also wants to be betting with her busted draws. And of the hands she could have, king-high, queen-high, jack-high draws are the worst hands she could have. So these are prime bluffing hands. Even though they do block flush draws that will fold. They don't block the various one-pair hands that will call the flop, call the turn, and then fold on the river. So get ready. Buckle up. River's a nine. <laughs> That's the one card Gavin did not want to see. Notice, think about this actually, right? Any other card that comes besides maybe a 10, Gavin's going to jam, and uh Oliver's going to either fold or call depending on if she has a flush or not. So Gavin got very unlucky here. Let's see if she does still decide to go for the bluff. I think this is actually a mandatory bluff spot. I think it would be pretty bad to not bet. Unless you can just like look and tell Oliver likes her hand and she seems to be pretty stoic at the moment. Notice Gavin checking out the chip stacks. One thing worth mentioning, I don't know if Gavin does this all the time, but some people will only look at the chip stacks when they are um, bluffing. Some people will only look when they're value betting. Oh, look at that. That's weird. So, <laughs> normally when people make this move, what she just did, notice that um, Oliver was looking kind of straightforward, and then she all of a sudden started staring down Gavin. That is very often the sign of a marginal made hand, but that is not what Oliver has. In terms of, like, interesting live reads, that, that's kind of neat, because normally when people try to stare you down, they are essentially trying to get you to not bet, because they have a hand like one pair or two pair that probably is wanting to fold if you bet. Uh, but it's kind of neat. Oliberg did that there with the str- the straight. Obviously, it may just be completely subconscious and not mean anything. Maybe it was very conscious as an exploit. I don't know. But if you play a lot with players who make um, like physical gestures one way or the other, maybe Lexi Gavin's eyes looking at the chips is very indicative of a bluff. Maybe Oliberg's glance over like this is very indicative of the nuts. You don't know, right? And That's why it's important to not just have very generic tells that you assume... Uh, mean the same thing for all players. It's important to understand exactly what tells mean for each specific player and also realize that sometimes people just make motions and they don't matter. If you're listening to this on the audio version of this podcast, I understand you can't see any of these tells. Go to youtube.com, type in Jonathan Little, Weekly Poker Hand 277, and you will see. All right, so anyway, Gavin just has to bluff here. She does bet 2000 She puts Oliberg, well, almost all in. If Oliberg does jam here, Lexi's going to fold. She's not going to call off for another 100 bucks or whatever it is. Actually, $250 more. Oliberg should shove here. I do realize she loses to Jack-10. But Jack-10's pretty unlikely, especially given you have a 10 in your hand. And also, Jack-10's just not going to bet the flop. So the only Jack-10 that makes logical sense would be Jack-10 of hearts, which was flop, backdoor, flush, draw, turn, gutshot. Um, so that's very unlikely. So right here... Even though Oliberg will very rarely get called, sometimes Gavin will call it off with a set, if she did have a set and was value betting. That said, I don't think a set should value bet. It seems like a pretty easy spot to check the set. So maybe you're supposed to keep the 250 behind, but I think in general it's probably fine just to put it all in. Given you realistically do lose to only one hand and you you beat some hands. And also for all I know, maybe Gavin was betting with like a six and decides to make a, a ridiculous call for a tiny tiny bit more into a big pot. Anyway. In this scenario, Gavin makes the all-in and loses. I definitely like the all-in, and sometimes it just doesn't work out. A lot of players get it in their minds. If a bluff fails, it means you screwed up. But right here, I think Gavin played this hand perfectly, and uh, didn't work out, and that's okay. So that's going to be it for today. I hope you enjoyed this hand. If you want to learn more about triple-barrel bluffing... <laughs> Check out Lexi Gavin's content over at PokerCoaching.com. You can get a completely free trial. And if you really want to take your game to the next level, we've been bringing on lots and lots of other coaches, including Jonathan Jaffe recently, who I think is one of the absolute best players in the world, especially when it comes to exploitative poker. He just might be the best, if not one of the best, exploitative players in the world. And as he discusses in his content at Poker Coaching Premium, that comes from knowing how to play fundamentally well and then... Knowing how to maximally adjust to crush his opponents. So you can check that out at pokercoaching.com/premium. So yeah, have a great day. If you enjoyed this, click like, click subscribe, share it with your friends, and I'll talk to you next time.